Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. What's up, guys? Xavier Katana here with The Human Experience. And wow, we had James Gesso on covering his work on psychedelic experience and psilocybin specifically. This is a very informative conversation, and I, I think you guys will really enjoy this. The membership section is coming along, and we've got a portal there now that you guys can click on. And we're going to put the personal part of this, which you're going to want to hear James's personal experiences with psilocybin. So get to thehumanxp.com slash members. Become a member today at the discounted price so that we don't have to raise prices. Help support the show. Help support what we're doing. Thank you guys so much for listening. The human experience is diving into the realms of the psychedelic experience with our guest, James Gesso. James, my man, welcome to HXP. Thanks, Xavier. So James, give us the, give us the about me, man. Like, where did you grow up? How did you get into this material? All of that. I, uh, I grew up sort of jumping around towns as my father was a construction worker following the work here in southwestern Ontario, which is where I'm living now. Mostly London, Mississauga, Kitchener, for anyone that knows anything about the geography of, uh, of Ontario. But uh, my parents were good, healthy, God-fearing Christians, and uh, I was a fairly sheltered little boy until around 14 or so when I got exposed to the, the kids that my parents wanted me to have nothing to do with, uh, which eventually got me into just sort of the early high school Canadian, um, I guess, story, which is getting exposed to cannabis and uh, becoming a bit of a stoner. And the long and the short of it is eventually I got to taking psychedelics. And in my mid-20s, early 20s, I got to taking psychedelics alongside with Oz pretty much whatever drug I could get my hands on increasingly more destructively until I had messed up my whole sense of self uh, and my whole sense of what it was I was doing with my life. became very confused and um, sick and uh, had that be a catalyst for me to somehow reach into the very same pool that had gotten me lost to find my way back out again, which was to build a an allyship with psilocybin mushrooms to bring my life back into clarity, which essentially launched me on the path to becoming who I am today, which is, I don't know, whatever my bio reads, but I write, I travel around, I do public talks, and um, I run a podcast called That Mind Radio. Yeah, man. Um, you know, and a lot of your work, and we can get into the psychedelic side, and we're going to do that very soon. And just a, a sort of cautionary note i mean we don't we don't advocate anything illegal here do we james uh nope 
depending on on if in your country that you're listening to it's it's legal to advocate right. in which case right. so just, i just, I just want to put matter. that out there so i mean your work seems to center around the shadow and exposing the light within the shadow why why is that i'd say that it was because during my early phases of i guess developing a mature relationship with psychedelic psilocybin in particular i realized that I was all confused and and feeling all sorts of very dark, we could say negative emotions in a very unskillful way, in a very repressive way, in a way that uh, trapped them inside of me and thus trapped me inside of myself with them. And that a lot of my psilocybin experiences, even still, but especially in those first uh, that first wave of the healing usage, was about bringing that stuff up it was about learning how to soften into the vulnerable um, and often uncomfortable honesty of just feeling shitty feeling shame feeling loneliness guilt sadness inadequacy grief feeling these things and then seeing on the outro you know all along being somewhat guided by this inner voice of of uh, I don't know, the wise consciousness, be it mind or the mushroom or some mysterious marriage between the two, all the while being guided, being shown, being offered realization that it is the feeling process that carries this pain, this suffering, the feeling process of cathartic, um, dark, etc. Um, it carries it from within through the body, through the surface of the experience, and out in a way. And, and in doing so, creates a nourishment almost like a decomposition of one's stagnant emotional repression so as to nourish the uh the sense of wonder the sense of growth and the possibilities of one's own maturation following that uh, that catharsis it feels like such an important part of who we are this the other side and it's also the part that we we hide from and yet are inundated with constantly so to me i felt like one of the most important things for me to represent in this was that other side of like, hey, yeah, it sucks sometimes to take psychedelics. It like really sucks, but that's not a bad thing. And if we believe it to be a bad thing because we're conditioned with all this, uh, let's just say, underdeveloped perspective on what the psychedelic experience means, underdeveloped to mean somewhat immature, to say it's all about fun and it's all about this and it's all about whatever without the inclusion of the, of the work then we're going to get ourselves in, in trouble when that, that hard stuff comes up, no matter what. It'll eventually come up. We're going to get ourselves in trouble because we won't know what to deal with it. So that's why I focus on that aspect of the psychedelic experience, or at least that's why I made a case for its importance, to lay a, a different foundation for how we can relate yeah, to the psychedelic yeah. experience, the play and the wonder, but also the, the tempest of suffering that it can also awaken inside of us. Absolutely. You know, in my own dives into the psychedelic experience, mostly with ayahuasca, I found it's very much like an onion of your soul. And it's kind of like taking one layer off at a time and just kind of stripping your ego away, removing this part of yourself. And, you know, whether that brings up a healing for you, I think that's on your own merit. I mean, that's kind of whatever is necessary for you to step into the next phase of your existence the next part of your existence that's that's kind of what it shows you mm -hmm. i like this term one taste you could take that to a place of non-duality which is where 
the sense of uh, self, the sense of I, which you, for the most part, probably identify with as being Xavier, and I identify with as James, sort of that layers of the onion peel back to the point um, in which I am no longer James, I am that I am, that, that fuller everything um, at the sort of base of the onion, there's nothing. But then there's the one taste that can be looked at insofar as our emotions. When we get to a place, for me, uh, a really healing, beautiful place is when I'm in a psychedelic experience or may or may not be catalyzed by drugs. But I'm in a place where it is sad. Maybe I'm facing deep grief that is almost beyond myself, that it's not just grief for my own suffering, but the grief for the suffering of others that I care about. And it hurts. And it, and it really deeply hurts, but at the same time, it feels good and it feels right and it feels, it feels just and it feels nourishing, even while at the same time, it hurts. And there's that one taste place as well that, um, yeah, there's, there's, de- there's definitely different layers all the way down. Yeah, I, I really like the, the one taste analogy. You know, there seems to be this sort of psychedelic renaissance occurring right now in our time, I think, with, within our generation, where we are seeing past this sort of curtain of pharmaceutical drugs, where the side effects are listed as, you know, suicide and, and whatever else. And we're moving into this sort of realm of of looking for answers with these medicines, I, I call them medicines. Ayahuasca is not a pleasant experience. Like I, I don't, I don't drink ayahuasca to, you know, go and party with my friends. I, I drink ayahuasca because it shows me a part of myself that I, I can't. I mean, through meditation and, and other ways, you can see this. But it's kind of like you know, people use the analogy with ayahuasca that it's like ten years of therapy in a few hours, four hours, eight hours. So how did psilocybin do this for you? Because there's all of this research coming out about psilocybin being neurogenic, meaning it regrows the cells in your brain. I mean, how does psilocybin do this in your experience? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Insofar as I I just want to make a couple points on the things that you said there. For example, the statement that ayahuasca can be like 10 years of therapy in an evening, I really think that, uh, and this applies with, with all the psychedelics, whether or not it's 10 years of therapy that you've progressed through or almost nothing that you've progressed through or 10 years of therapy that you're going to need to have afterwards um, really depends on, on, how, on how it's held and, um, and what you come back to and then how it lands in you as you come back to, to the world around you. And so I definitely yeah. see how yeah. pharmaceutical industry has really distorted the, the Hippocratic Oath, in a way, and the whole economic system around the money and politics of school and medicine has really distorted a lot of things. It seems like the emergence of psychedelics being non-patentable, if that's a word, is really mm-hmm. flipping that on mm-hmm. its head. It's also going in for something that, I guess in a way, very new and very groundbreaking, but also seemingly obvious in its truthful treatment of whatever ails us at the core of our soul, at the core of our being, because it seems to dissolve away the normal patterns of emotional and psychological behavior, which in doing so dissolves away the typical guards, defense postures that we've inherited or maybe developed over the course of our lives to protect ourselves from pain and suffering but in doing so have sort of locked ourselves in these 
stressful, contorted, hypervigilant, negativity-biased perceptions of the world and of ourselves, and ultimately just creates degenerative issues in our, in our mind and, and in our body. And the psychedelics seem to soften all of those things and bring up something new. And this is getting into talking about my experience with why psilocybin helped me do this, because it seemed to get down sometimes quickly, sometimes slow and agonizingly to a core sense of who I am. And that wasn't always, like I said before, comfortable, but it allowed me to let go and then at that core, there's some sort of shift in how I see myself or how whatever events that happened previously in my life that left me guarded, that left me angry, that left me hurt, that how I see myself and how those events have landed in me shifts. They land differently on my way back up to my or down to my normal baseline of consciousness. And in that, there's almost a a placebo effect in a way, which is that for me, it changes the mind. It changes the inner workings of ourselves that manifest as the physicalities, as, as the neuroimmunological endocrine system. And then in turn, we can walk through in a healthier way. But again, this depends on how the space is held. How prepared are you to go in? How prepared is the person there with you? What kind of support do you have on the way back? What kind of support do you have back at home? What kind of changes are you making or not making after the process? And having had now a lot of research, as in like underground research, since the sort of like psychedelic inquisition that went on for a while there in science, and then above ground research, we're really laying a fantastic foundation for how to merge the tools of psychedelics inside of a therapeutic scenario. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I I don't even think it's underground anymore, you know, and I think at first and with the work that MAPS is doing, the Hefter Institute is doing, I feel like this is, this is the next evolution, this is the next phase, you know, a big reason for why I chose you to be on this show is because I feel like we're, we're moving into this realm where people are, like, in the 80s, we had this just say no campaign. And I was, I was brainwashed by that campaign. I, you know, I thought drugs were evil and bad and bad for you. you know, it, it took me a long time just to start forming my own opinion about you know, what and drugs, quote, drugs are. You, in your book, Decomposing the Shadow, you make this excellent parable from uh, Star Wars where you talk about how. Yoda trains Luke Skywalker. Can we let's get into that a little bit? Well, I haven't really uh, entertained that idea in a little while, not since I um, released it on Reality Sandwich not too long ago. Can you ask me a more specified question about what, insofar as that concept, you'd like me to expand on? How do you think that becoming, you know, this sort of Jedi warrior is related to ingesting psilocybin? Well, I mean, there, there's obvious correlations there if you look at sort of the deep philosophy of Star Wars in and around the concept of becoming a, a warrior of the light against, against the darkness that, for me, sits in a positive way in my psychology. But in my specific reference of Luke and Yoda in, in the Dagobah swamps, what I was getting at was, here comes this person who is seeking to 
find themselves empowered with the birthright that is theirs simply as being born in who they are, and that they go to this swamp to meet this master. So if we're just looking at this from an archetypal way, so like the deep forest as like the archetype of going into the mind, so he goes into the swamps, the dark places, and there in the dark places is a teacher. There's obvious reference to mushrooms here because the teacher is like small and like sort of like Mm. green and weird and lives in this little hut in the ground. But he, Luke, develops an ongoing relationship with this teacher and slowly but surely the teacher, by saying these these large sort of broad metaphysical philosophical phrases, which coming from anyone with any less wisdom would be platitudes, they would be trite, um, but coming from him hits with deep, profound wisdom and Luke goes through the swamps with this wisdom whispering in his ear uh, that is simple but clear. And the ultimate sort of test for Luke was whether or not he could go in to the depths of his greatest fear to have the courage to go in, and not just to go in, but to go in without his weapon. That is to say, to go in unguarded. And in that place, he comes face to face with what scares him. But he did not go in unguarded. He freaks out, he attacks, and he becomes highly disturbed when he sees that the very thing he's afraid of is actually himself. I mean, there's there's definitely more layers to the to the story there. Mm -hmm. But this to me is very similar to the psilocybin experience. You enter a ceremonial space, it could be a room, it could be the woods, and Either way, you're going into your mind, you're going into these places, and all the while, as you're sort of navigating, journeying through your mind, guided by this sort of inner overvoice that's whispering these, these wise little snippets, little sound bites, you're guided. And, and the greatest tests I've found are most certainly the moments when you're being encouraged to look at what scares you. And if you don't go in with surrender, if you don't go in willing to let all your weapons and defenses down, mm, then the yeah. very thing that you will be exposed to will hurt you. It will harm you instead of heal you, which is what it can do. And so that was my reference, the Star Wars thing. That's why I put it in there. That and also at the time I was just geeking out hardcore and how awesome the Empire <laughs> Strikes Back is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I think, I think that's really well stated and it's a great metaphor analogy to the psilocybin experience is psychedelic experience and you know what we're experiencing while we're ingesting these divinity compounds let's get into some science you know you talk about how there's this increase in functional connectivity and the reduction of blood flow to the medial prefrontal cortex like what is psilocybin doing to treat issues such as depression why is it so helpful for this uh Wow, I uh, I haven't brushed up on the research papers in a little while, but I'm I'm going to take this question maybe in a in a different direction um, sure. than possibly you were intending. 
Not that long ago, I was facing some intense post-traumatic stress disorder, which was bringing on an anxiety condition and depression and all these other things. And in that, I started just reading the literature like crazy. I had already been familiar with, you know, a lot of the literature insofar as the um, sort of the pharmacokinetics of psilocybin. And I decided I was going to write a paper. I was going to write a long essay. This is my perspectives on how and why psilocybin can treat and possibly um, cure, I'm not a doctor, so I don't have to hesitate with saying that word, Mm -hmm. uh, chronic depression. As I went through it and I hit the books hard on this and then had to drop the project because I went touring. And then when I sat back down to look at it again, I had realized that I was overtly intellectualizing my understanding of the process as an attempt to dissociate myself from the turbulent emotional um, discomfort that I was in on the regular because of my of the illness I was facing, and that feeling that illness um, having resolved a lot um, in in my travels, I was able to look at it a different way, and and I saw that you know psilocybin's ability to reduce blood flow in the medial prefrontal cortex and posterior cingulate, which are said to be overactive in in, in people with depression and and then to um, possibly reduce the fear response, which would say that it has something to do with maybe reducing the synaptic complexity of the amygdala, which is associated with trauma, the mm-hmm. synaptic complexity, all the while increasing functional connectivity in the brain, which is sort of like it all sort of speaking to itself in different ways, while surprisingly enough, reducing um, global brain function totally it doing that that's not how it's fixing the depression the sort of neurocentric causation model for take the drug fix the brain problem i think is incomplete if not dangerous and that i believe that what we're seeing and i really appreciate a man named bernardo castrup for his language around this what we're seeing when we're looking at the brain scans the fmris this is his words it's important that we don't confuse the cause of a thing with what something looks like. So to me, what's happening when we eat psilocybin is, yes, you know, the the psilocybin in the mushroom is getting dephosphorylated in the gut, converting it into psilocin, which is crossing the blood-brain barrier and working as a neuromodulatory agent to modify blood flow in the brain. And we see the associations of how that modified blood flow you know, what the associations to depression are, and, and we can hypothesize around that. But I really believe that what's happening is a subjective change. That's the important piece to look at. The mushrooms are going in, and what we're seeing in all that physical stuff is what it looks like objectively for the person consuming the mushrooms to go in and resolve deep, unresolved emotional trauma, emotional issues, to shift that inner subjective experience into uh, angle or a caliber, which enables them to have more self-confidence maybe, or sense of wonder, sense of beauty, of joy, of coming to terms with whatever it is they're coming to terms with, and thus creating over time a reduction in a hypervigilant stress response apparatus, which slowly degenerates every part of our body and mind. And, and, and that that for me, that's why the psilocybin can help us do that. I, I mean, maybe I'm leaning a little bit more on the mystical side of things here, but um, 
I do think it's the subjective change that for me calls the most attention, despite how fun and interesting all the pharmacology words are. Yeah, you know, the mainstream is so far away from this, so removed away from this. And I think mushrooms are still a schedule one substance, or at least in Europe, it's a class one drug. So that means that they have absolutely no medical usage whatsoever. Um, I'm looking at this study published by the Lancet Psychiatric Journal. This is from last year. They took this clinical trial where they had 12 volunteers for three weeks and an active dose of mushrooms, psilocybin, was able to lift resistant depression in all of the 12 volunteers for three months. So if you have Western medicine on one side, and then you have this counterculture movement on, this, on the other side, for Western medicine, you are trapped in this loop of going back to your doctor, going, getting more antidepressants. You're, you're stuck in this loop. You are their consumer. You're just a consumer, right? So if there's a substance out there like psilocybin, just a fungus that grows out of shit, out of cow shit, you know, it's, it's amazing. And another reason, another huge reason that I want to create more awareness about this is because I think we had Rick Doblin on from MAPS. And, you know, I got this email after that interview from someone in the military. They said something like, thank you so much for doing the episode that you did with Rick. After I heard it, I was very divided on what I should do about this. They were suffering from PTSD. They were deployed. They had just served in Iraq fighting for our lives. And they come back and they're, they're these broken individuals and there's no answer for this. There's no treatment for this. It sort of befuddles me that we're still in the midst of this and that Western medicine has failed us as a culture. Mm -hmm. I've actually just recently heard a statistic that I can't quote, so it's totally hearsay, but that um, more veterans have now died from suicide as an extension of post-traumatic stress disorder than have died actually in the war that they participated in. Yeah. I mean, it's a stunning, staggering statistic that it's scary, man, because these people are fighting for our so-called freedom and they come back and they suffer from PTSD and we, have, we, we don't have a solution for them yet. But, you know, it's, it's conversations like this one that are help paving the way to changing that. Okay, James. So when a person someone that doesn't have experience any experience with psilocybin is ingesting mushrooms like i mean where should they be what's a good set and setting mindset for this that's great it kind of is a question that allows me to address some other things that you were saying just there before which is that i i don't really think it's responsible to advocate for the taking of psilocybin mushrooms a fungus that just grows um, out of shit also decomposing wood as well but to just take them if you're, you know, suffering, if you have depression, especially if you have trauma. Personally, that didn't really go super well for me with trauma because it's very easy to hurt yourself, even more so if what you're facing is is really deep. And I think this is why there's so much positive results from the studies that are happening now. Uh, I mean, I, I meet a lot of people who are very positively affected by their you know, recreational and then beyond recreational, say, spiritual therapeutic relationships with mushrooms who have never seen a therapist and have never, no intention at all to ever sit with a psychedelic psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. um, but I know a lot of people who will never touch mushrooms again and are frightened 
from psychedelics because they were exposed to things that they weren't ready to. And I, I believe the safe, structured environment that academia is producing for psychedelic psychotherapy is an essential ingredient for people to get the positive the results that they're looking for. However, I also believe that the various qualities of safety and guidance that a, say, academic or therapeutic environment can offer is repeatable. Like you can do this on your own, though it's much more risky. And there's, there's a lot of factors to consider. And one of those factors being the chances of the person leading you is not likely a trained psychotherapist with specifically the desire to help you target what you're going for and come up with good results. Mm-hmm. I get this question a lot. What are sort of my suggestions mm-hmm. around starting out? And I think the first suggestion that I have is if you're going to take mushrooms, and I'm talking to the people here who aren't psychonauts, they're not looking to take a shift in their relationship. This is people who have never taken it before and are either intrigued by the concept or looking to face something heavy inside of themselves. I would suggest doing them with friends doing them with other people because there's a much greater sense of safety that can be held and that it's that sense of safety that's very important. If you're with multiple people and you can look to each other to help each other, then it's likely that you'll be much more able to relax, surrender, and be present with what's coming up. Now, finding people can be problematic because maybe you don't know anyone. Um, Maybe the only people that you know just like to eat mushrooms and smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol and, and, and go to the bar, which certainly isn't the best way to make use of them as a medicine. But I think going in with other people is important. At the very least, having someone who you trust, having someone to sit with you while you go in and start small. Start really small. I know that there's sort of a threshold dose for me. It's like taking so much that I don't have to try to get there. It pushes me there and I'm just sorting it out on the way back, but not so much that the place that it pushes me to makes absolutely zero sense. And I'm trying to, I'm like Atlas, I'm trying to carry in the weight of this like cosmos size idea on my way back and end up doing no personal work at all. But for the entry level, the last thing you want to do is hurt yourself in the process. So starting small, I think, is good. And with somebody who you can trust. And if you have a therapist that you can talk to um, or somebody that you can talk to about this, this is really important for you to better understand your experience, to apply what you've learned. Journaling is a good way of checking in with yourself and getting a sense of, of what you've gone through. It's definitely not a replacement for a therapist. It's a great adjunct, and it could be good even if you don't have a therapist to talk to. If we can't share our experiences, then eventually we might accidentally occult them. And if we occult them, then we might not be able to learn from them. And the sense of desperateness that comes from, say, your last effort to cure your depression not working can be far greater than not having had the the mushroom experience at all. Yeah. Is there anything, anything more I should address there? You know, for me, it's like this sort of this decompression phase when you're leaving a journey such as that. And I think it's a a great note that you mentioned that you should do it with other people. I I agree completely. You definitely don't want to be sitting alone in your room in front of your computer on psilocybin. I think it was Terrence McKenna that talked about how, you know, when you take these mushrooms to take them in a completely dark environment, have everything completely dark as you enter this fear of existence, but also for, you know, this sort of post-loading 
you know, just being aware of your your own body and your own kind of self-awareness and, and knowing thyself enough to have that safety net of other people, but also not going too far and, and starting small, just like you said. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I, there's, I, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I was, I was going to shift into the next, next thing of this. So if you, if you want to add something, go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that those suggestions, you know, they're not, they're not prescriptions. They're just descriptions, descriptions of things, of, of things that have worked. There's, there's so many different angles. There's a great value to be had in taking mushrooms by yourself, what Kalindi EE calls the journey of the alone into the alone, because if there's even just one more person there, the persona remains. I mean, there's nothing necessarily specifically advantageous about going in by yourself if you're treating something heavy or you're inexperienced because it could make it it could make it a lot worse. I mean, even Terrence, the bard himself, ended up not taking mushrooms for several years because I, mm-hmm. I believe he got frightened by something. So he's a great mm-hmm. philosopher, but possibly his uh, his usage advice might not be the most uh, stable. They were into some really heavy stuff. I mean, they I think they they found a cache of mushrooms when they were in South America, and I don't I don't know what they were looking for or doing there. We're gonna have Dennis on next week, actually, so he's coming back on for a second interview. So I'll have to ask him again. But um, I th- I think we've covered a lot of ground here, James. I mean, we've covered the, these these cultural aspects of this demonization of this compound of this medicine. Also, you know, we talked about how to properly take them and what to expect from them. And if, in my opinion, if you're not scared, if you're not slightly scared of what's coming, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah do you agree? Yeah. I, I would. Yes. It's a simplification that, that might, you know, if you try to scale it too much, um, it can lose its uh, efficacy <laughs> as, a, as a suggestion. But once you learn the power, it, it's not a fear or a scared because of like, oh no, it's more like, a reverence, like mm, a deep yeah. respect. It's like I have yeah. deep. It's not almost less of a fear, but just like deep respect. I almost think about mythology around the booming voice of God. That's like like uh, what is that 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 movie with Jay and Silent Bob? Maybe Dogma or something. And uh, <laughs> yeah. God at the end is Alanis Morissette, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and that she has people speak angels speak for her because to hear the sound of her yeah. voice explodes your heart. You know, so it's like that kind of respect. <laughs> yeah, that reverence is absolutely necessary, man. There's there's a respect for all of these compounds, whatever it may be, whether it's LSD or psilocybin or ayahuasca, where, you know, they're pre-journey, you know, you humbly bow. And, and I think you said it earlier, but it's just this aspect of surrendering because you have this ego sense of yourself and you're coming into uh, an adventure like that strong and you think that you're going to defeat something you're going to have a bad day it's going to be a bad day yeah it's it's luke not leaving the lightsaber behind what's up guys you've been listening to our episode with james jesso to hear the rest of this episode get to thehumanxp.com slash members and you can help support what we're doing here help keep the show alive help us get guests help us go longer help us get into a video format we want to eventually get into a video format here so um, definitely get to thehumanxp.com slash members and become a member today. Thank you guys so much for listening.
Why do I listen to the Human Experience Podcast? The most easy and most perhaps cop-out answer I can give right off the bat is that my life is my own human experience. So already the title is relatable. So then you start listening or I start listening and I'm hearing about things that aren't really talked about and subjects that don't quite come up because they're considered, I don't know, what's the word, taboo perhaps? Especially from where I'm from. I'm from Texas and not not to hate on Texas, but I am surrounded by a lot of people who are, how do I say, not everyone is as open-minded. Any podcast that encourages you to be open-minded, in my opinion, is a positive thing. The other thing I really enjoy is that no matter what the subject matter is, the conversation is always captivating to listen to. I try to find podcasts that are very easy to understand and easy to listen to, but not so easy that it's like they're dumbing it down for me. And I think this podcast has a very fine balance of that. The, the interviews and the subject matter are stimulating, and they're things I didn't really know about. So I find myself learning an immense amount, but it's not straining. It's not draining. It doesn't make me exhausted. And to be honest, you know, when I am working all day and I have to spend, you know, what, two hours a day in traffic, maybe three, I don't want to be drained even more by something that I'm choosing to listen to. I can be passive and just listen to these two people connecting and maybe disconnecting sometimes, but at the end of it all, it's a positive experience, it's stimulating, and my ears enjoy it. So really, what I'm trying to say is that there's no reason not to listen to this podcast. So why not just listen? And if you're a human, and you have experiences, and you want to have more transcendent experiences, I think the human experience is giving the tools that people could need. If you're at the human experience, I just want you to know you guys are awesome, you rock, and keep doing what you're doing. You know, this is just a testament to our commitment to bring you guys life-changing stuff that will affect your life in a positive way. And, you know, my my deepest, most grateful, heart-melting thanks to Hannah Lore, who submitted this for us. and. Wow, uh, what a huge, huge testament to everything we're doing here. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this little blurb of her telling us why she listens to HXP and it motivates you to become a member of what we're doing. Thanks, guys.